And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome once again, everybody. Another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast coming to you from Atlanta, G.A., Chicago, Illinois, and also today, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. I'll tell you about why we're hitting Shreveport here in just a second. Uh, I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and SEC Network. You know J.C. Sherbert from the Bigspur.com, 24-7 Sports, formerly of ESPN.com. And our special guest today is a guy that is synonymous with college football and basketball, not just if you're in the South, but I think uh, Southerners, as passionate as we are uh, about those two sports, you, if you've been following it for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I don't want to age you too much, Timmy B., but you know the name Tim Brando. Uh, and Tim, kind enough to, to join us. Tim, I, I, we were talking just before we got this thing rolling. The last time you and I had work, so to speak, uh, I was getting ready to call the second round of the SEC tournament, which the SEC was, I guess, officially the last tournament to pull the plug. Uh, so we were about 45 minutes, myself, Jimmy Dykes, we had Marty Smith uh, working sideline, and then we finally got the Bob Kessling, Tennessee radio announcer, looked at me and said, it's been cut off. Uh, so there we are in a suit and tie ready to go. You're the answer to a trivia question. You actually called the last second of college basketball this season, working the Big East tournament. Uh, and since then, we've been in a state of uh, the utter unknown. So that being said, how has it been? Good. You know, this is a time of year. And by the way, both of you, really nice to be with, with you, Mike, and with you, JC. Uh, I, I got to tell you, this is a time of year I normally would be off anyway. I was one day away from being uh, uh, through with my entire season. I usually use this time of year to recharge my battery, play a lot of golf, uh, hit the Chateau pool deck, and, and enjoy my life a little bit. Um uh, I haven't picked up a golf club yet, so you know I'm jonesing for golf. I've not yet played. And the reason I haven't played is because I was in New York, the epicenter of uh, the coronavirus, and because I've got grandchildren that are four months old, two and a half years, and three and a half years old, I, I didn't want to infect them, and I felt... You know, given the fact that I'm 64 years old and my wife does have some pre-existing health issues uh, with her heart, I needed to be really, really uh, precautionary, and and I have been. Um, but at the same time, uh, now the weather is warming up and uh, things are slowly beginning to open, although Louisiana is probably going to be the last of the southern states to get into phase one because of all the problems we've had in Orleans and Jefferson Parish. And even up here in Caddo Parish, we've had uh, a lot of issues because of um, really Mardi Gras and all of the lack of social distancing that we had through the Mardi Gras season. But um, listen, I... This time of year, I'm generally watching from 30,000 feet, guys like you working in baseball and, and doing a lot of the sports that I used to do when I worked around the calendar when I was, uh, when I was younger and, and enjoying it all. And boy, oh boy, do we miss sports. And uh, I think we all feel that and understand that acutely. And the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in now watching – you know, old games or documentaries like 
the last dance, which has been marvelous, uh, tells us how much we miss it. So the best thing that we can do is, is, is help and maybe send out the right messages so that everyone understands moving forward for us to actually have a fall season, which is the number one question that I get every day, uh, multiple times every day. Uh, we need to be responsible. We need to be responsible and accountable for our actions uh, as we do slowly open up. And, um, you know, it's getting harder and harder because you are beginning to see some uh, civil unrest in certain parts of our nation's geography, which I guess to some extent is understandable, particularly as we get closer to Election Day. Uh, and it does seem as though now we're, um, we're taking alignments that are either overly optimistic or overly pessimistic. And depending upon your point of view, you're being uh, categorized as one side or the other of the political fault line. <laughs> and that's no. sad. So, you know, to my way of thinking, sports is what, what do we do in sports? We're, we're commenting on games. We're giving people of both sides of the aisle, both, both sides of, uh, of, uh, uh, of everything really in life. We're giving them some relief. We, we are there to be an elixir, to be a healing, uh, uh quotient for our, our country. And, for us to get to that point, for us to get to a point where we can see some, well, I don't know if it's Major League Baseball or some golf or a little tennis, whatever it is, we need some of that to start feeling better about ourselves. And then I think um, we can we can say maybe we can take the right steps so that we can have a, a fall season of some kind. I don't think it'll be exactly the way it's always been, but I'm I'm still very hopeful that we will have it. Yeah, I am as well. I mean, we've talked about uh, this for a number of weeks on this podcast. The word ideal does not apply uh, to the upcoming season. So you need to just take that off the table. And, and how you normally digest and enjoy college football is probably not going to be uh, in the same form. However, that doesn't mean it's, it's not going to uh, to take place. We're talking with Tim Brando. And again, you can't see me right now, but I am wearing a green T-shirt that I picked up at the Atlanta airport, which says Final Four Atlanta 2020. I got this at 70% off. They had a bunch of them. I'm not kidding. This is a, I actually own an Atlanta board, which I was going to go uh, because obviously, you know, I don't work that. That's that's Jim Nance. And yeah, it would have been nice to uh, catch what only would have been my my third ever final four in, in person. But, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're all jonesing for sports for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, but not the least of which is another big factor in all this is is the economics of it, and, and I I don't think you can avoid that. I, one of the things uh, that we've talked about, Tim, is that you don't have to feel guilty about bringing up the fact that you know we are a capitalistic nation, and yes, there are a lot of dollars at stake. And I I think if nothing else, the reality of even the thought of no college football has enlightened some people on a, a major myth, which is a lot of people think that all these Division One programs, it's a bottomless pit of money that they can just constantly uh, reserve. They're just sitting on Fort Knox of millions upon millions of cash. But, you know, just as quickly as these schools get it, they spend it on facilities. Travel's never been better. Student-athletes have never gotten more. And if we lose a football season, it, it's scary to me what the repercussions would be. As that's something you've talked about at all? Absolutely. 
the group of five could be extinct. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they don't get to play, people have talked about, well, a truncated, a truncated season where we only play our conference games and nothing else. Well, you take away uh, for Sunbelt conference teams or Mountain West or Mid-America conference teams, you take away their games against the Big Ten, the SEC, or the Big 12, uh, you're talking about, in some cases, one-fourth of their annual athletic budgets. And you take that amount of money away, then they can no longer exist. They can't uh, keep all their non-revenue producing sports or keep up their Title IX uh, conditions, which is uh, a huge factor. Uh, To your point, we've always, in intercollegiate athletics, wasted money. I mean, there's a lot of waste. Plus, the additions of having to put them in positions of associate AD while they're being paid off and then having to come up with Another seven-figure deal for who the, I don't know, the flavor of the month is in coaching. So those kinds of mistakes have been made consistently in intercollegiate athletics. As my old friend, erstwhile Bino Cook, used to say, they'll always, they'll always have a need for more money. You could give a Brakes armored truck. It wouldn't matter. They need more money. There'll be a playoff. Why? Not for the good of the game, because they need money. And he was so right. Uh, and that's always been true. And I'm going to tell you right now, you will see the college football playoff expand. It's not a question of, of if, it's a question of when. And I think this, um, this problem that we have and the monies that could be lost as a result will force the hand possibly even before the current television contract is up. So, yeah, uh, you would think based on the millions and millions of dollars. Uh, Mike, that your company, the company you work for and the company I work for, mm-hmm. have given to intercollegiate athletics that they wouldn't find themselves in, in this prop, in the, with these kinds of problems. But they have, and in some measure, it's because, A, uh, of their responsibilities towards um, the non-revenue producing sports and the Title IX issue, and also just bad business deals with regard to running intercollegiate athletics, wasting money on coaches that they've been firing so so often that you could be paying off two coaches in the same sport while you're spending three or four million on another new coach. Right. Yeah, I don't know why in some cases we'd expect, and this is not a political statement from either side because they both do it, I don't know why we would expect athletic departments at this level to do a more conservative or frugal job of spending money than our government does. I mean, it, it, again, when it, when it comes in, we know yeah. how this works, it, it goes out, and it's the next guy's yeah. problem if there's some kind of deficit or if you've got to pay for the last three fired coaches, and that's what goes on. So uh, we know how important it is as you mentioned from a morale standpoint we know how important it is from a financial standpoint you and i uh probably have spoken to some of the same people i've spoken to a handful of ad's of of power five conferences and here's what i've gotten from the people i've spoken to and i want to see if it matches well with what what you're hearing Uh, and i'm kind of giving the uh uh, the average percentage of what I've heard. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. heard uh, the, the percentage of a full season starting on time is roughly 75%. Now, yeah. you agree? Okay. Yes. Now, and, and of course, this is not 
necessarily conference for conference, and we'll get into the difference between an SEC, a Big 12, a Pac-12 in a second. But I've heard about 75%. I've also heard the chances of these games being played in front of full crowds is, is next to zero. Uh, and so right. then you then you have to come, come up with a solution, and this is where I'm glad it's not my job. This is why ADs make seven figures, uh, is you've got to find a way where you can have some of the crowd in there and not all of the crowd in there and still not, you know, try to keep as many people happy as you can. Does a lot of that jive with what you've been hearing? Yeah, yes. I do believe, though, depending upon what part of the country you're in, uh, there are some some differences based on not necessarily the state, but maybe the institution, okay, a private institution versus public, or uh, a school that's land-grant versus uh, liberal arts. You know, the, the presidents of these universities ultimately uh, have the big voice here uh, because they are the ones that empower the commissioners. The commissioners have to deal with them. Uh, the athletic directors are having to you know, come up with the decisions about how to manage, uh, you know, a college football weekend. Uh, they're the ones having to deal with the realities of social distancing, how to get people into and out of the stadiums uh, in as uh, safe a, a way as, as humanly possible. But, but I do believe that the realities financially are such that they all know that they've got to make their best efforts to play. Uh, in the Pac-12, for instance, you may have heard last week, Oregon says we're opening our doors. When you start hearing the presidents of the institution saying we're not just going to be relying on online classes, Missouri made that call, Purdue's president made that call, Oregon did it last week. You know, they're whistling a different tune, by example, at UCLA and USC in Los Angeles, which, you know, given the circumstances and that being such a, a hot spot for the CV-19 virus, I, I understand and I get that to a point. Uh, we could be looking at a situation, Mike, where not everyone's playing in every league, uh, but that all leagues might be playing. But not everyone in those leagues possibly might be participating. Uh, they may not be. So, uh, but I do think we'll see a season. And I do think that the potential, what I've also heard that you didn't mention, was the likelihood of moving things back in the fall by roughly two to four weeks. I, I think that's a real yeah. possibility. Um I do think we could get it in during the fall, but I think moving the season back, and everyone's quick to point out, you hear this from fans a lot, well, then we'll just play our conference games. No, I, no, I don't think they want to get rid of the, the non-conference games. I don't think the coaches do. Right. Uh, and certainly it's important to the power conferences to take care of their group of five brethren. I think they understand the importance of those schools playing because if you don't have those schools playing, you can't fill out a 13-game schedule. You just right. can't. Well, so I, it's, it's important to both parties that they get it in. So I, I don't know about you. I've always felt like college football ended way too soon. So <laughs> move, moving the season back a month is not a problem for me at all. 
I, I actually, I think the whole calendar has been off. I'd like college football to go longer. I'd like college basketball to start later. I'd like college yeah. baseball to start later. Couldn't I, agree I think, with you more. Yeah, I think we could learn from this. I think the NBA yeah. starts too early, uh, and they might be, you, if there's anything positive at all in the sports world that, that can happen because of this, is maybe they'll rectify some things on the scheduling standpoint. And I, I couldn't agree more, because I know it's easy for a fan to say, well, I don't care about that game against the Mac opponent. College football is one of the few sports out there where every game that exists, in one way or another, when you include TV money, something you and I know a thing or two about, whether it's ESPN or Fox or the SEC Network or whomever, money's coming in. And so those games might not be at the top of the agenda for your average fan, but nobody wants to lose them. Because it all—it's all part and parcel to that that jackpot of team that comes in. Absolutely, yeah. And look, um, it is time. You mentioned we all have to learn something. We we should be learning a lot. And the powers that be uh, in intercollegiate athletics are 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 learning, as well as uh, those of us in broadcasting are learning. I, I, we have a meeting, um, a little Zoom chat every uh, Thursday night with our TV crew. I've been really fortunate at Fox for the last three years to have the same producer, same director. Mm-hmm. Spencer Tillman and I are, are now about to start our um, sixth season together at Fox out of the seven years that I will have been there beginning this fall. And, of course, we were together for uh, – Let's see, it was 16 of my 18 years. No, no, it was 18 of my, 17 of my 18 years at, at CBS. So that's a lot of years to be together. You know, we're yeah. moving up our 23rd year. Wow. Uh, only one year have we been apart in 23 years. And that was the year I left CBS to go to Fox in 2014. Um, the thing that, that we, we were discussing this, and it's true, uh, and I'm sure this is going on uh at your place too we're not sure moving forward uh, how we are going to physically be able to maintain social distancing and do our jobs mm-hmm. uh, by example you, you've, you've seen what <laughs> a television truck looks like I sure. mean, those guys are packed in there like sardines producer, director on one and then the, the AD and the uh, graphics operator are right, you know, right. In right behind them it's like a cockpit of an airplane. Mm. Uh, they've got to they've got to reconstruct in their own minds how to do it. I assume some of these broadcasts that are done from a remote location, which I know is done a lot with the conference networks, the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC, have done a lot of their games that have been produced remotely from, say, um, Charlotte or Chicago or some other place, and the talent is on hand. But the production people are actually uh, in a studio location, you know, miles and miles away. We may see more of that yeah. uh, in some cases with some games. Not not the top-tier games, but with a lot of other games. There's a lot of football televised. I mean, uh, a lot. And even in the booth, Mike, 
the potential of getting a shot of the broadcasters, huh. the play-by-play analyst, we got to change our thinking there too. Yeah. If we still have to maintain social distancing, uh, we got to put one guy one side <laughs> and another guy. We might we might just send the analyst down to the sideline or some other location, right. you know, to open the show. And but I mean, there are all kinds of things that we got to be thinking about. Uh, as we move forward, all of us have to adjust uh, and adapt. No doubt about it. Which which goes back to it's it's not going to be ideal, no matter what. Right, uh, right. And, and we might not get as cozy uh, with our analysts in the booth yeah. as we normally do for that stand up shot or halftime shot, uh, what have you. Again, he's Tim Brando joining us uh, now with Fox doing uh, Big Twelve, Pac Twelve uh, football, doing Big East basketball, formerly of CBS. You did some. I'm in Atlanta. I remember when you did some Braves baseball. You and I have that in common. We also yeah. did. You and I both did Carolina Panthers preseason football we're on that distinguished list so uh, <laughs> the six degrees of, of that uh, alumni base uh, I've got one more on this subject then I'll turn it to, to, to JC for uh, some more on this this first kind of major subject that we're discussing which is the state of the upcoming college football season and I did say upcoming because I'm remaining optimistic that there will be one in one shape or form you mentioned this and I think, you know, from the league that I cover the most in the SEC, in a league that you certainly covered quite a bit during your time at CBS, uh, I think the SEC is in very good shape because already you're seeing so many of the presidents saying, we plan on opening up in the fall. That paves the way for football. We know that if students aren't on campus, it's a real bad look to still have football players on campus. Mm-hmm. So that's probably not going to happen. So first thing, the first domino as I see it that needs to fall, school president says, we're going to have kids on campus. Next domino is the AD says, hey, this is going to be uh, our schedule. And that's when the Greg Sankeys and other conference commissioners of the world try to unify dates and get it going. Uh, with the, I mean, I know, as you mentioned, Louisiana might be the most up in the air right now, and I can't imagine us not having the defending national champion being able to, A, play football, and B, play to Death Valley. But what if some of these other leagues, that they're not as blessed with the same good weather, uh, some of the same scenarios, maybe not the, the push by their governors is not as much to open up the state. You know, what if we had a Big Ten, for example, where – Michigan is not supposed to be playing at home. And you mentioned the Pac-12. There's all kinds of potential logistical nightmares there. The Big 12. What do you see of the 130 institutions we have in D1? How many do you think will actually play versus not be able to play? Oh, boy, that's that's too, uh, that's a Pandora's box. I'll, I'll shy <laughs> away from uh, making any specific statements relative to that. But as I said a moment ago, Mike, I do think that we may be looking at a season where um, all of the conferences may not have all of their teams playing within it. I do think that they're all going to attempt to play because they understand financially what's at stake if they don't. Um, and again, depending upon your geography, uh, Oregon, by example, is in great shape. Uh, Washington has already, as you can tell, because it was one of the first areas that was at hard, it's been on the decline, and they're doing quite well right now, the state of Washington. Uh, the hot spot and the problem spot still remains Los Angeles, which is huge from a television standpoint to the Pac-12, especially given that big game with Alabama uh, that starts uh, the season for them, and, and UCLA with Chip Kelly and uh, what's going on out there. And again, I, I point to 
the presidents of these institutions and academia and the way they roll is not necessarily in lockstep with the SEC, certainly. Uh, the Big Ten is, is a, a, a similar storyline. Um, you've seen recently um, the issues that they've had um, with regard to social distancing and, and, and the debate over whether to open up or, or not open up in a lot of those states. Um, but I will say this unequivocally. They are going to make every attempt at all of these schools uh, to get a football season in. But those weekly schedules, Mike, could vary mm-hmm. depending upon you know, the state of the, the the state of the pandemic in the home site uh, location of that said game from week to week. Uh, it could depend. They may adjust those schedules, moving those games. That's that's another thing the ads could do, and that's one of the things I've really been encouraged by. Uh, and I have talked to some ADs in the Big 12 and the Big 10. I do, I do a lot of Big 10 games. I had two Wisconsin games in the month of November, and I had never been to Camp Randall Stadium, you know, almost 40 years in this business. I'd never done a game at Camp Randall. And a lot like the Big House, it was very memorable to be at that place when jump around started playing and <laughs> opened the fourth quarter. Uh, I think they're going to do everything in their power to play, but there may have to be some adjustments made in order to get their full seasons in, depending upon where you're located. We'll be back with our conversation with Tim Brando after a word from our sponsor. Hey, if you've been listening to J.C. and Morgan for a while, then you know we are so proud of our sponsor, BP Skinner Clothiers, because he continues to serve you folks and make sure you get the very best in men's clothing. There's some people that do business well, and there's some people that are just head and shoulders above the rest. And if you want to look your very best, deal with a guy who's not only the best in his area, but he's one of the best nationally. That's why so many people throughout the country call on Brent Skinner. He will meet you. He will come to you no matter where you are in America. That is right. You just set up an appointment. He'll have everything ready, all the materials to pick all the sports coats, the suits, Uh, custom-made shirts, he's got accessories, he's got shoes, he's got belts, he's got pocket squares, he's got ties. I'll tell you what, people tell me all the time how good I look. I never used to hear that before when I wore suits from random chain stores. It just makes a difference. You'll feel that difference, and you'll feel better. Again, their store is stocked with spring sports coats, ties, pocket squares, shirts, and their team will take every precaution to ensure your health and safety while shopping during these rather difficult times, but Brent Skinner is going to keep it real and keep it easy for you. Go ahead and give him a call, 803-661-7665 to set up an appointment, 803-661-7665. Mention you heard about it on J.C. and Morgan. You'll get a free custom-made shirt with any purchase of a suit or sports coat. That's Brent Skinner of BP Skinner Clothiers. At the time of our taping here, uh, the NFL has already said, and in a lot of ways, college does this. You know it. Uh, it happened after 911, and and um, you know the SEC was ready to play. I'll never forget this. Spencer Tillman was living in Sugarland, still does, Houston, Texas. I'm in Shreveport. I get a call from my bosses at CBS, and they tell me Vern is stuck in England and can't get back to the states. This was after 911 because there's no flying. You know, so he couldn't right. get back. And Tim, you got to go to Gainesville. And of course, there was no flying domestically. So 
Uh, I was taking a rental car to Baton Rouge. Spencer was going to take a rental car from uh, down I-10 to Baton Rouge. A car service was going to meet us there, drive us to Gainesville to do the Tennessee, Florida, the Tennessee, Florida game. Yeah. Uh, so September, I believe it was uh, uh, 15th, like the third week, 15th, something 15th, like that. Yeah, I remember 15th. it well. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you guys, uh, you know, I, I, the thought of having to do that game as, as great, uh, a game as it was and most highly anticipated game at that time in the sec, it determined the East champion every year for, mm-hmm. for a lot of years. I was just sick about having to, to even think about having to call that football game. Sure. Because, because I knew a America didn't want to watch a football game outside of maybe those two schools. And B, if I go there, I've got to have a, uh, a tone that seems somber and understated and concerned mm. about what's going on with our country. And yet we've got 85,000 people in the swamp screaming mm. <laughs> you know, for them, for yeah. their teams. How awkward, how awkward would that be? And so as badly as I would have wanted to, in my original life, pre nine one one to have done that game, I was sick at the thought, the mere thought of having to do it. I got a call, Mike, I'm about an hour, JC, I'm about an hour out of Shreveport. I get a call that Roy Kramer had finally pulled the plug. That was only after the NFL had made its decision, and I think the Big 12 made its decision. The SEC was the last league to say, no, we're not going to play. And I've never been happier to be told, Tim, turn around, (laughs) you're not doing the game in my entire life. But... um, I, I think that that, that we, we have to understand the role that sports plays. And that's my, my biggest point that I want to make to you guys today is that for sports to be the healing uh, elixir for what our country is ailing with, we got to do this the right way. We got to make sure that when we do play our college football, it is at the right time. It is what most, not just some, but most of the viewers and fans want. And that it is something that can be the, um, the healing quotient that we've always expected it to be in our lives. Sometimes it's just not the right time. Uh, that particular situation right after 911, if we had played football that, that first Saturday, it would have been a poor poor decision horrible horrible optics uh and as it turned out uh we moved everything back a week you might recall jc and um i do the uh, sec championship uh moved back a week that particular year as well it was, a- it was the only week that did it that that year but um we've got to make similar choices this time around yeah it was a crazy year because that tennessee florida game that you were heading towards Ended up getting played the the normal SEC championship weekend, and Florida yep. that was Spurrier's last team at Florida. And they, right. if you remember, they were really good. Rex Grossman, yep. uh, I think Jabbar Gaffney, Lido Shepard, all those guys, they were really really good. Lost in a monsoon at Auburn, like they tended to do at times. Yeah, and then 
you get all the way to the Tennessee game, and it's at the end. And I think Travis Stevens ran for about 240 yards of the swamp, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and 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 Tennessee won and pulled the upset. Then they go to Atlanta, and, and and Miami was the team that was going to the Rose Bowl. You know, they were the number one team. They won the national championship. But so yeah. Tennessee's in a position, one of those great Tennessee teams, to then win the SEC championship game and go to the Rose Bowl and then be the ones that played Miami. Well, a guy named Rohan Davey that played for the LSU <laughs> Tigers, and I think a Matt Malk coming off the bench, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, led yeah. Nick Saban's first SEC championship uh, right there, right. right there in 2001. So I, I, I remember that fondly. I tell you, Philip Fulmer still has nightmares about that <laughs> because that was a that was a great Tennessee team. Yes. I mean, they, they could have won it all. And his program was never the same after that year. That yeah. was their, that was their best shot, and he knew it. And uh, yeah, a few years Matt, later, the only the, the only play Matt Mock knew was the quarterback draw, and, and Tennessee still can't defend it. Couldn't, I mean, that, couldn't get him on the ground. Couldn't could get not him on get the Matt Mock on the ground. And two years later, he'd be winning a national championship for. Uh, for Saban in 03. So, yeah, Absolutely. good memory. Yeah, and you mentioned this earlier, Tim. I want to I'll kind of go back to it for a second. You mentioned coaching changes. Do you believe that – because we have gone kind of coaching change mad. And I just look at the SEC last year. I think Arkansas had to make a change just because – of the depths that that program had sunk to. I think at that point, you know, I, I don't blame mm-hmm. them. Was it totally fair to Chad Morris inherit a great situation? I don't know. But you can't lose to Western Kentucky at home by 26 uh, no. against a quarterback that you, you, you know, told to leave your program a few, you know, a year before and all that. But Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Missouri all made coaching changes this past year. And just something told me, you know, and I don't know, Lane Kiffin may win at Ole Miss and bring him back. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz may be a great hire, and uh, Mike Leach certainly is a fun hire. But but it kind of seemed to me like those two, those three schools maybe maybe pulled the trigger a little quick. Um, do you think we're going to see less of that with this? I, I, w- I would think so, just because I think they're going to lose some revenue. But um, you, you, do you think athletic departments may start to kind of reconsider uh, some of these quick coaching changes that kind of, like you said, rack up the debt? I think it's already happened. Uh, especially in college basketball. Notice how quiet it was mm-hmm. at the end of the season. Uh, other than the Wake Forest job with uh, Danny Manning, which was uh, sort of a, a, an 11th hour decision that was made, nothing really happened in basketball. Um, and if and if I'm a five and five or a five and six coach going into my final week against my rival, I'm going to give a clinic on not raising your hind leg in the end zone <laughs> to make sure that, you know, I, I keep, at, least, at the very least, I keep my job, you know? Play that changed uh, everything, yeah. Oh, my God, incredible. <laughs> it changed everything and, and really painted, I think, a, they can't wait to play football at, at Ole Miss with Lane. I mean, yeah. now I do think that it's, it's going to be trouble for all of the first-year coaches in this situation, it's a huge disadvantage to not know your team. Uh, you can do as much as you want to do from a virtual standpoint. You can reach out to them on Zoom and have conference after conference and find out maybe who's who's working with them in terms of lifting weights on a daily basis. But to not be in a hands-on situation in, in the spring and, and then hustling, hopefully, to get your six to eight weeks in. That's the other thing I'm hearing a lot of from coaches is, some will say, you know, I got to have eight weeks. Some will say, 
six to eight. I've heard some say four to six, depending upon uh, the approach that each one of those coaches have. But they're going to have to make major adjustments and adaptations to, you know, what lies ahead for them too. And you know how rigid uh, they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more so than anybody else involved in this, coaches are really going to have to adjust and adapt to the regimentation that they are accustomed to always having. Well, and we're going to have to, and this goes back to the don't expect ideal in 2020, we're going to have to get used to the fact that the beginning of the season could be some real choppy play universally. Um, I, because I think there's a good chance it's not going to be eight weeks. It could be closer to six. Yeah. If, if they actually start on time, if, they, if September 5th is the actual start date, and we know how much they'd like to see that happen, uh, then it, it Eight weeks might be ideal, but again, we're not dealing with ideal. And you just you, you got to coach them up as best you can in six, so that mm-hmm. that'll be something to fall. And just to build upon your point on the disadvantage for the new coaches, specifically those examples, I'll give you another reason why uh, those coaches are going to have their work cut out for them. And it, it kind of leads me into a, a subject that I know you've been very animate about. And we've talked about it. Um, they're going to have a difficult job in general because they're in the bottom half of the SEC. And the top half is so there, – there just seems to be so many inherent advantages. And that's not taking away anything from Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or Missouri. Fine programs. But when you compare them to the likes of Bama, LSU, now Florida's coming back, Georgia, uh, obviously uh, at some point Texas A&M might live up to their potential, Auburn, et cetera, et cetera. So this is what JC and I have talked about. We call it the cabal of college football, Timmy. And that is, it seems like, and I know and I admire you because even back in the day when you were on CBS and it almost felt like, and I know you weren't, I know how this works. Like nobody sends you uh, an email saying you can't disrespect the BCS. However, <laughs> right. Are you, I mean, nobody, no, I never got that email. Yeah, I, obviously not. <laughs> obviously if you would have gotten it, I know you, you would have, you would have tossed it in your wastebasket, but, but we're all, and we're all cognizant of the fact that at that time, uh, the pressure was to sell that lemon a- a- as a legitimate way to deter- And, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of money at stake, and a lot of people yeah. wanted you to be convinced that it was the right system. And to your credit, whether it was on CBS, I used to listen to your radio show, you would count the days yeah. that we lived that lie of the BCS. The world in crisis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I always admired you for that, because I know that even if the bosses don't say anything, they might not necessarily like you taking shots at Big Brother. But here we are now. We finally got what we all wanted. We got a playoff. And I I would have preferred eight, and I think you're right. I think we're heading there, but but it's still better than the BCS. I would maintain anything is. is yeah, it's better yeah. than what we had. However, there is a problem as I see it when the same five schools are competing for the championship every year, and everybody else is just competing for everything else. It, it's yeah. gotten a little stale. I love a dynasty as much as the next guy. But we're at the point now, again, it's a cabal of the same five, six schools. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's going to change anytime soon? I think we're closer to it. And I think the monetary woes that the schools are facing uh, is is proof of that. Um, Look, I I talked to a lot of athletic directors and coaches and, and, and some former members of that committee. And by the way, this is the problem. 
that the playoff now has is that the committee is a shell of its former self. It's not uh, the committee that we had in the beginning. Uh, we've got now, uh, you know, a handful of six, seven, eight uh, commissioners and or athletic directors. Uh, and then we've got old coaches, old coaches, okay, that see the game through the same prism. They have not adequately replaced uh, Condoleezza Rice, in my opinion. Uh, so we are lacking diversity. And as a result, the brand names continue to be uh, the schools of choice. And unless they have something uh, catastrophic happen, they are always going to be there. And I'm not, look, I'm, I'm all for great teams being great. And you better, if you're going to beat them, you got to earn it. But look, if Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, some form of a second team, either Georgia or LSU, are there in the SEC, that's what we're going to get. And it becomes very cookie cutter. And if you happen to be a team like Minnesota or Baylor last year, by example, you can't get on uh, the front page of even a college football magazine because some some guy in a in a uh, in a cave somewhere or in somebody's basement in Connecticut uh, or or New York is telling you, well, they only have a. 14% chance of winning the rest of their game. <laughs> ah, yeah. So therefore, so therefore we shouldn't really care what Baylor or uh, Minnesota are doing. Mike, I'm sorry. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not what college football uh, was based upon and let, let them play and let them all think they've got a shot. Will you at least during the course of the season? And, um, you know, the one word that everybody forgets here is access. A playoff, you know, that, that says to people, hey, greater access. Boise State had a better shot in the BCS era than they do now. They have, I mean, they were a fixture of the BCS. Right. They, were my, they were my annual fly in the ointment pick. And <laughs> now there is no fly. For, there is no ointment and there is no fly. <laughs> that cobble of teams replaced the fly. So we need to go to eight for that reason and that reason alone. And by the way, and if those four teams are the same four teams that are in the championship finals and semifinals next year, so be it. But, but let's involve the rest of the country's geography because much of college football's success, particularly its future success, is, is to engage uh, everyone nationally. Um, we've got the Mid-South and the Midwest locked up. That's college football country. But if you recall, fellas, uh, when the college football playoff was created, it was about growing the sport nationally. In fact, uh, the company you worked for, Mike, was promising uh, NFL divisional playoff-like ratings. It has not delivered. Um, the, the advertisers were promised a certain kind of audience that it has not gotten. Now, that isn't to say that it's still not a highly, highly rated program. It's the highest rated cable sports program going. But it could be delivering and should be delivering far more. And the reason it's not is because not enough of the country is engaged in the championship process. You know, America, the American sports fan is conditioned for playoffs and playoffs involving every corner of the country. We're not doing that in college football. 
And if we continue to make it look like uh, a brand name invitational, we're going to continue to alienate the potential future growth of the sport outside the area that's its cornerstone, which is, as I mentioned earlier, the, the Big Ten, uh, Big 12 SEC regions. We, we've got to find a way to get to those population bases that matter more. Years not having Big Ten teams involved, you really take a hit in terms of television ratings because that's where most of the homes are located. Um, there's a reason why the Big Ten schools make more money than any other schools. They've got the largest audience. The SEC has the most loyal audience and certainly has the most recent success, but their population base, and listen, I live in the South. I love the SEC, but its population base cannot contend with the Big Ten. So we've got to find a way to get all of the conferences involved in the championship process. We do that by having uh, five teams that are champions. And oh, by the way, for those that say that we can't do that, oh, by the way, what if we have a three-loss team? Well, that's what you have a committee for. Mm -hmm. uh, you have the committee impose a, hey, a rule that says if your team, your champion, has three or more losses, then you're subject to a review where we could take another team if we so choose. Still, we're getting all those teams involved. And um, that would be, that's a step forward. That's a step to grow the sport from a national standpoint that um, at least, uh, what are we now, seven years in going into the college football playoff? After I think we're going season? into seven. Yeah. We're going six seven. down, six to go on this contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think at that point, now we're going to show some serious growth in viewership. Right now, we just don't have it. I, I yeah, think, I, sorry, go ahead, Jason. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I, to your point about the Big Ten, I mean, you got a lot of large land-grant institutions with huge student bodies, vast numbers of alumni that are passionate about football. The Big Ten is the entire northern fourth of the country. Right. Stretches from Chicago to New York City now. Um, yeah. Nebraska to New Jersey. Um mm -hmm. My question to you, and you've been working at the, you've been calling some games out there in the Pac-12, and I know when I worked in recruiting and would visit these campuses and I kind of look at the history of the league, I love the Pac-12 because if you look back, every program in there at one point or another has been good. Even mm -hmm. Oregon State went 11-1 and one under Dennis Erickson one year and won the Fiesta Bowl. I think that's the one that's struggling. Mike and I have talked about it because of TV ratings and, and the, the actual network that they had and the plan that they did. Um, and then you look at the recruiting aspect of it, and a lot of your top California kids now are coming east in droves. Mm -hmm. um, how important do you think it would be for that league, just for the, the, the SCs and the UCLAs of the world, to kind of you know join with Oregon and what by all accounts I think is a solid program at Utah – and a rising program, in my opinion, at Arizona State, you know, to, to kind of get the traditional powers on the West Coast back um, in order to kind of raise the profile of that league. Let's not lose sight of this, JC. They were this close. I mean, so very close to merging the 16-team the super conference mm -hmm. just before our friends in suits in Bristol came up with this idea to put together the Longhorn Network. The Longhorn Network, which was a $300 million mistake, and they haven't made many of the ESPN, but that was a big one, uh, really was the difference and the growth of the Pac-12 because they would have merged with some of the power teams. Now, look, Kansas State, Iowa State, 
Kansas, a few other teams might have been kicked to the curb. But if that had happened, and I want to say that was around 2009, 2010, somewhere in there when that happened, uh, Larry Scott was being viewed as one of the uh, smartest men in intercollegiate athletics. He was about to pull this incredible coup. Since that time, Scott has been the least successful of commissioners. Every one of his institutions are upset with him. This idea or notion that they could run and uh, operate their own network, they couldn't even get a deal with DirecTV. Uh, how can you start a network without having it at least on DirecTV? And they're losing money left and right. They cannot keep up. You can make a great case right now that the American Athletic Conference with the new deal that uh, Mike Oresco, who I used to work with not only at ESPN in the early days, but at CBS as the vice president of programming, he did that wonderful deal for CBS with the SEC for only $55 million a year. You can make a case that his deal that he made with ESPN and re-upping puts him in a much better position than the Pac-12 is now going into their new deal. It looks as though they're going to have to look at digital as their future as a primary carrier. Um, and that's something that I know the AAC was looking at but didn't have to take because ESPN went in and swiped them up. Now, look, they're not making, they're not making the kind of conference money that the Big Ten or the SEC or the ACC is making, but they are certainly in a league of their own when it comes to the group of five. The Pac-12 is in peril in terms of making any kind of deal with uh, the traditional carriers of college football in its upcoming deal. I would suggest that for the, for the growth of the sport, the, the Pac-12 needs the Big 12 now more so than ever. In fact, the next merger, if there's going to be one, still needs to be the one that almost took place that Scott almost pulled off before the, uh, the Longhorn Network was put in play. And I, I can only, I mean, you guys remember the brouhaha that stirred mm -hmm. over programming and how, you know, the Longhorn Network was put behind the eight ball the moment the rest of the conference took the chip on its shoulder and turned it into a boulder on its shoulders. So that thing has just never taken off. But clearly the revenue is there, and um, I, I think there's a very good chance that that may be the future if, in fact, uh, Larry Scott will listen to reason. He and, and Bob Bowlesby, who knows? They may be in discussions right now. Uh, the potential for that is, is there. The issue that they have in the, in the Pac-12, and I, I agree with you, there's been a level of consistency in terms of uh, winning programs coming from different locations based on what era we're in, even five years ago. Uh, teams like Arizona were challenging Marcus Mariota in Oregon, and you know they haven't really been heard from since. We'll see if they can pull it back together since Rich Rod left. But the issues they run into out there are more geographical than anything. The, the problem for the Pac-12 is there's so much space between schools. You know, there are, other than the bus rides between Pullman and Seattle, uh, L.A. and, uh, you know, and Pasadena and uh, Arizona and Arizona State, those are long road trips, really long road trips. So it puts a financial burden on a lot of those schools when they make those road trips especially during basketball season, but it, you notice it in football too. Uh, and, and when USC is not good, 
and UCLA is not good, they lose their national relevance. It doesn't seem to matter that Washington may be good for two or three years. Oregon may be really, really good for two or three years. The consistent programs that have to be a factor are in Tinseltown. And USC and UCLA have not been relevant now for, for quite a while. I mean, they had a mini run with Darnold uh, at USC, but not since. And it seems as though they're still quarterback dependent at USC. Chip Kelly, uh, to this point, has not been able to get his recruiting off the uh, off the schneid. And I think part of that is he thought that he had a full commitment from his institution. I don't think he does. I don't think there's a financial commitment at UCLA to match what he needs to be able to get the kind of players that, you know, he has to have in order to be successful. So the problems for that league off of the field, JC, are plentiful, okay, big time. And they're hitting right in the purse. And this was before COVID-19, you know, popped up. You know, there is a lot of separation between the Pac-12, the revenues that they're generating versus all of the other leagues in the, um, in the Power Five. And it may be so substantial that the only way that they'll be able to compete is to reach out again and see if, uh, you know, the Big 12 members will talk to them. Now, whether that can happen politically, I, I don't know. Um, you know, obviously schools like Iowa State and Kansas uh, and, and other schools that knew what their situation was 10 or 11 years ago, they... <laughs> they may raise their eyebrows to the thought of a possible merger because it could leave them out again. And that would be problematic. Tim, we've talked about this. I mean, I, I think that would be ideal because you look at the playoff that we've had so far again, six years in, we've had very little PAC 12 representation at all. The big 12 has been basically Oklahoma going there and promptly losing. And so, right. It's been a three-conference success story in some ways, right? The SEC, obviously. The ACC based almost exclusively on Clemson. I know James mm-hmm. had a Florida State team there that eventually lost, I believe, to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the Big Ten, of course, uh, with Ohio State. But the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have been so lost. And I look at it as almost a an identity crisis. Uh, you know, before I came full-time, with the mother with the mothership, I did four years of college football with Fox, and and a lot of that was Big Twelve and Pac twelve, two of the three conferences you do a bunch of. I remember the last Pac twelve game I did, and it was a it was a place I always wanted to go because I'd never been was Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, and beautiful game, place, beautiful place. And at, yeah. at one point, of course, a power in the in the early nineties, late eighties, uh, and it was Utah at Colorado in a Pac twelve showdown. And nothing about that game felt like a Pac-12 game. <laughs> I had to keep ingraining in my head, Mike, this is a Pac-12 game. Don't say Big 12. Don't. Mm-hmm. This is actually a Pac-12 conference matchup. You know, people could say, well, Rutgers offered nothing to the Big 10. That's fine. The Big 10 didn't get hurt by Rutgers. You could argue they don't add anything, but they didn't get hurt by it. The SEC... Whether or not you think Missouri uh, offers a whole lot, Texas A&M certainly is a, is a huge gain for them. Uh, the ACC, I think some of their expansion moves. When we've had these seismic shifts, I think it clearly favored some conferences over the others. And the Big 12, as you mentioned, I mean, that, that thing was about to fall apart. Uh, and, and a gentleman before Bowlesby, and I just forgot his name, um, helped, helped salvage it, right? Helped patch it up. Chuck Minus. Thank you very much. Chuck Minus. Yep. 
the, uh, was the former commissioner of the College Football Association when that's it was right. formed after the 1984 Supreme Court uh, decision was made. Chuck had been the Big Eight commissioner in the old Big Eight conference in the right. 70s and, and 80s. And, you know, Chuck, years ago, I'm, I'm bringing this up now because you, you pointed out his name. Uh, I was doing college game day with Corso and, uh, and Bino. And in 1988, he had a plan for the College Football Association to put together a playoff. And he actually flew in Lee to do a mock College Football Association playoff show. Mm. Okay. This is what the world could look like in a few years. And, uh, you know, it was met, obviously, with uh, resentment from some of the schools that were, you know, stuck in the mud and didn't want to think about such things. But Ninus was, yeah, he absolutely saved. Saved the day. Uh, that, he saved that league. They were in serious trouble. And, and I tell you right now, because I've, I've done quite a bit of Big 12 in the last couple of years to go along with Big 10 and, and Pac-12, my, when I saw Matt Rule coming to Baylor, Aranda, I think, will keep it going because that's another quality hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been some really good, solid college football hires in that conference of late that I think have given it some stimulus and the big 12, even monetarily without a conference TV deal. Okay. Because of the Longhorn network, they're actually in better shape now than even the ACC financially. They're doing pretty well. And some of their teams have gotten better. And, um, but I just think that the bottom line is those two leagues are where they are and they're not going to be able to compete with the sec and the big 10, in my opinion, unless they galvanize, yeah. you know, if you took those two teams, those two conferences and put them together and formed the first real, you know, super conference that could jazz things up quite a bit. Really. The, only, the only bad part to that would be, and, and for a lot of people, unfortunately tend to not care. It's just like they, they look at the group five and they say, well, we don't care about them. Well, I care about them. I mean, I don't want to see this become, <laughs> as do I, you know, just a, 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 a cabal with a little bit of expansion. I, mm-hmm. I, I care about that. And I, and I don't want to see, like, I'm sure you've had a chance to do games at Iowa state. It's a great place to do a game yes. or, or, or the little apple in Manhattan can't. I mean, I don't want to see those schools kicked aside. Right. If we go to say 16, the two merge, it's like, if you're not, if you're not on the boat, you're like the guy hanging on the well, raft of the Titanic. Mike, I've, I've for a long time believed in Oresco about the P six. I, I think that the American is a hell of a league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that conference has emerged and put itself in a position that's deserving of uh, better stature than the so-called group of five. Right. Uh, I think you could replace um, one of those conferences as a power five league with the American. Um, I absolutely believe that not just because of what's been done uh, recently by UCF, but uh, other schools within that conference have also had periods of domination. Um, and the TV markets. And the TV markets are legitimate. Uh, mm-hmm. They really are. And, uh, you know, whether it's Memphis or it's Houston or it's, or it's UCF, you know, name that school. South Florida has had its moments as well. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we could still have the five leagues that have the automatic bids and then we're talking about the four other conferences that are remaining that could have a chance to, to get in based on their performance level. And then a couple of at-larges. Uh, we're just talking, I think, in terms of 
how to make the Pac-12 and the Big 12 more of a big deal, uh, to make this thing something more than just ACC because of Clemson, SEC because of just their overall dominance, and Big 10 because, well, you know what, it's, it's got the most homes. We got to do something to make yeah. it. You know, let's get rid of some of those stereotypes and those cliches that we're always throwing out there with quotes uh, as we get closer to um, Selection Sunday of uh, the college football season. I want to put a bow on this subject and and get to a subject I know you're passionate about, and that is the lack of a true leader or czar in in the sport. But to go back to something you said, you know, for 20 years plus, we heard excuses why a playoff would never work. And obviously it was was garbage. I mean, if you can't solve that, uh, God help us if if these are the same people trying to solve a pandemic. I mean, it's not that hard. And obviously nope. you can always tweak it. It's still better than the BCS. So if we go from four to eight, they're always going to, there's always going to be that small segment of the population, as you know, that says, well, if we go from four to eight, then that'll make the regular season not as important. This is what I heard when we went to a playoff in general. I, I don't believe that's the case. And I think a playoff, I'm not saying 16 is the answer, but eight to me seems to be a very no. nice fit. And the regular season would still be extremely relevant to those of us who love college football. I tell everyone that throws up the 16 argument, shut up, please stop. Yeah. Because all you do is fuel the fodder from the pinheads out there that are always saying, well, you know, it's never enough. If you go to eight, they're going to want more. If you go to this, you're going to, you know, eliminate that. Uh, eight was the number all along that I had in mind. It's the only one that uh, that's the only number that really enhances the postseason, but also protects the regular season. Greatest myth in sports is that college football, greatest regular season of all. Oh, really? Really? Let's talk about that third week in November in the SEC when uh, we have nothing but FCS teams coming into play so that Auburn and Alabama can get time off before they play and Florida can get time off. Stop. Just stop. It's not the best regular season in sports. Look at the numbers of the blowouts that we have in early September. Then look at these God-awful non-conference games that are put in play. And listen, I applaud what Mike Slive did, God rest his soul, for his best teams. He was doing what was right for his constituency. Uh, Saban and, and Malzahn, and go, well, we need some time off. You know, we need it. Okay, fine. Everybody in the SEC, go and schedule you a nice little non-conference game against an FCS opponent or a bad, and I do mean bad, FBS team out of the group of five. I've got Mike, listen, I, I've, I've watched them have to, <laughs> I used to say, my God, how, how can you keep a straight face when promoting the third weekend uh, or whatever? Is it the third or the fourth? Might be the fourth weekend in the month of November on the SEC network. My God, those it's are bad games. SoCon Saturday. Oh, my God. Don't tell me how great the regular season is. Sure, it's a, it matters a lot because it's a short season. And the feeling is if you want to get into the postseason, you better go undefeated or at least only one loss against a quality, uh, a quality team if you want to get in. And that's, that's going to be there even if you go to eight. What would happen if we had eight teams is it would have more of the country engaged uh, with games in November because somebody in the 10 hole or the 11 hole, depending on where their schedule is, 
could have a chance to crack in. Mm-hmm. And now you've got more parts of the country talking about more teams that have a chance to get in. So it engages the viewer uh, in a way that uh, I hate using the NFL as a comparison because it's apples and oranges. And I think a lot of college football fans are not big fans of, co- of the NFL. But the, his- the history will show you in, in terms of engagement and ratings, the more of the geography you involve, the later in the season, the more money you make, the more people watch, and the more the advertisers are satisfied because their their business is selling. That's what you have to do. And um, there's no question in my mind that that, that would be successful. Uh, the, the bottom line is college football's regular season is great. It's over too quickly. But to say that it's the best regular season in all of sport, and, you know, not with those games, not when you schedule as many regular season games and you have four cupcakes that you're paying a million or more to come in and get their asses beat. No, I'm sorry. It's not the best regular season in sport. It, it certainly could be improved. And I, you know, f- for whatever small uh, hypothetical you can think of, that is going to be a down, uh, a knock on a expansion from four to eight. The positive so far overwhelms yes. the negative. I think yes. we're heading there. It's just a matter of whether or not they'd be whether to uh, willing to intervene in the middle of a twelve-year deal. Well, this pandemic may force their hand. Well, that's true. That's true. In fact, I think that's where the sixteen sort of got legs. You know, a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. When we were seeing that, uh, okay, how do we go about it? A little bit like the Grapefruit League idea that baseball had. <clears throat> I think yeah. that that's where the 16 sort of came from this time. But um, it's a mistake to start talking about anything more than eight teams Agreed. in a college football playoff. Tradition is the currency. History and tradition is the currency of what makes college football great. We don't want to lose that. And I dare say that the third Saturday of October and uh, the border war between Georgia and Florida and uh, uh, LSU Bama weekend is not going to lose any of its impetus by having uh, four more teams in the playoff picture. It's not. Absolutely not. I'd love for people to poll those fan bases and say, would you decide to just sit that one out if there was an 18 playoff? (laughs) (laughs) The answer would be a thousand percent. No, He is Tim yeah. Brando. You know him from a number of outlets over the years. Uh, the, one of the, the original hosts of, of ESPN College Game Day, as a matter of fact, going back to the, the late 80s before it was a, a cavalcade of uh, fans on a game day on the road. Mm-hmm. We were back stuck in a traditional uh, a studio set. And then, of course, CBS Sports doing a great job of, of doing studio with the likes of, of Lou Holtz and Spencer Tillman and so many uh, others along the way, and now doing play-by-play for Fox, uh, college football and college basketball. One of the things you were adamant about uh, as recently as yesterday on Twitter, Tim, was uh, the need for a czar of college mm-hmm. football and, and basketball. This has been brought up a, a number of times. Uh, I don't think anybody, I look at Mike Emmert sometimes and I feel like it's, it's the Dean you had in high school who's trying to hand out demerits as people are throwing paper airplanes at his face. <laughs> it's, it's just not, it's not something that you no. know, doesn't yell leadership. You know, these power five conferences are, are sitting there on their, on their phone calls saying, we're going to do what we want to do especially when it comes to football. So how does this actually happen? I, like, I agree. It's a great idea. 
How do we actually get it to take place? I don't know that it can happen, fellas, in our lifetime. Um, maybe because uh, leadership and today's culture is um, like politics. It's all local. Uh, no one wants to look outside the realm of their power base and um, that the, the constituency is all that matters. Uh, during this pandemic and during the circumstances that we faced most recently, you've heard from uh, Adam Silver with a strong voice, from Roger Goodell with a strong voice, uh, and other commissioners, um, Fred Manfred even with uh, MLB, um, has been measured, but I think he's been uh, a relatively strong voice for his sport. With college football, we are sending out daily different messaging. I mean, all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of the commissioners that I've talked to, and I've talked to several, as well as athletic directors, they're in consultation with one another on a daily basis. I mean, they are working hard with their, with their teams, with their schools, with, with, at, at different levels, with presidents as well as uh, uh, athletic directors and, and with their coaches down the line to try to figure out, you know, the way to go about putting this thing together, whether it's on time, whether it's three to four weeks late, or, you know, uh, the, the last straw, which would be uh, maybe playing after January, everything's on the table. Literally, everything's on the table. But the problem becomes the sharing of that information from the one school to another school is all within the league. There's not a lot of conversation going on from one region of the country to another region of the country. So a message comes out from the Purdue president, uh, we're opening. Message comes out from the Minnesota president, we're not opening. Uh, Oregon says, it's opening. <laughs> the, uh, the moment you see all of this, you're like, good grief, what's going on here, all right? None of these commissioners are able to get in front of their constituency and tell these guys, hey, don't say anything. There's no reason to say anything now. We don't have to make a decision until the end of May and the start of June. So why go out there and say this now? Let's wait and let's have one voice. My thoughts have always been, look, and by the way, I'm not trying to take or usurp any power away from any of the conference commissioners as it relates to the way they run their business, the television deals they make. Look, I understand the, the Big Ten and the SEC deals are worth more financially than the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the, and the American Conference's deals. The commissioners don't lose any of their power by having uh, a so-called czar. And, and really, to some extent, it's not czar may be the problem. Maybe I should have said uh, overseeing consultant voice for the we'll sport. call it a commissioner. Maybe that, maybe that would sound better, or a commissioner. A commissioner, um, yeah. Yeah, the bottom line is these guys should have someone to turn to, to give them a sense of purview, uh, looking at the situation from the outside in as opposed to the inside out. I, I've said this so many times before. Mike Slide, great, great commissioner. We miss him. I think Greg Sankey has grown into the position. I, I love seeing some of the statements that he's made uh, recently as commissioner of the SEC. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt uh, that John Swafford, who's on his way out at the ACC, 
is going to leave a great legacy for what he was able to accomplish by getting his network on, similar to Sly. But, but we're going to have new commissioners come and go. Jim Delaney just left the Big Ten. They've got a new commissioner there. So to, to me, the notion that you could find someone that has been successful either from an entrepreneurial point of view, uh, from an academic point of view, as well as athletic point of view, could see the, the game through the prism of a former player, a former coach, former uh, uh, academician, or former um, successful administrator, okay? Any one of those categories could produce for you someone that I think could be a great consultant for all five in the Power Five, and for frankly, for all 10 of those commissioners in all the totality of college football, because those commissioners that are empowered right now are entrusted and are paid by the presidents of the universities within their leagues, okay? That's who they are beholden to. No one is looking out for the total product. No one is looking out for you know, the, the, foot, the footprint of college football in today's sports landscape. And to me, it's easy to go out and pluck. There are two or three options that I could throw at them right now that could be very helpful in terms of their, their image, their branding, uh, their marketing concepts, the, the things that they need to be thinking about in terms of scheduling and social distancing and with fans, the way to manage the game, uh, the manage the entrance of fans coming into the game. And that's what I'm talking about. That, and have that person be your voice. And oh, by the way, how many inconsistencies, Mike, do we have during the course of a season with player issues or coaches issues where this coach or that player is not penalized or suspended enough or he's suspended or penalized one way in one league and a completely other way in another league, right. which strips uh, the level playing field for everyone in college football. Let's allow that person that's overseeing the sport as the big-time commissioner that's the consultant for all, let's let him take some of the heat off of these guys once the ball is in play. And I think that Oliver Luck, who had a – uh, title only for the NCAA while working for Emmert couldn't get anything accomplished there because of the enormous bureaucracy and the lack of power really that the NCAA has in governance of college football, a lack of power that was lost in 1984 with the lawsuit. And I don't know how many times I have to tell people on Twitter or any social media, what the hell happened in 1984? How can people not know <laughs> what happened in 1984? It has, it, it plays a role in what and how they watch every game that right. they see uh, on a regular basis. But people just don't, don't want to look it up. Don't want to read or, or care enough to understand the history of, of college football. But a guy like Oliver Luck could come in right away and help. He's available all he's got to worry about now is a lawsuit with Vince McMahon and the XFL <laughs> on his way out the door. And if not him, how about a guy like Billy Payne? I mean, if you've been the chairman of Augusta National, I'm sorry, you can handle any political problem there is out there. And Billy Payne did a lot for that. He did a lot for the Olympics in, in uh, handling ACOG and, and uh, the 1996 game. And as a former Georgia tied in for Vince Dooley, understands intercollegiate athletics, every aspect of it. Uh, Jack Ford, former Yale defensive back, magnificent attorney, uh, an award-winning author, as well as broadcaster. Jack would be perfect for the job. 
There are several candidates I could throw out there. But the bottom line to this, how can it happen or will it happen? Only if the egos of those that are in charge of their beloved conferences will say, you know what, I've got a lot on my plate here, and we need someone to help us with, yeah. with governing our sport. Let's entrust this person. And by the way, I left out another great candidate, Condoleezza Rice. Mm -hmm. Condoleezza Rice is missing on that committee now. You know, that's part of my problem with the committee. There's no diversity, uh, not the kind of diversity we had when they opened this thing. Uh, she understands certainly the academic side. She's a huge fan and follower of all things sport in our country. She would be another that I would bring in. Uh, and who knows? She might work in concert with whoever the, the commissioner was. Uh, it could be a voice. We need to bring all the hands on deck uh, so that college football can grow. And, um, you know, again, I don't know that it will happen in our lifetime, but I think it needs to for college football to grow to the levels that we all hope. I think it's going to be difficult, even though everybody, there's a part of all of us that knows that would be a good thing, but you have five different power leagues all looking for their self-interest, their best interest at hand. Yeah, right. Let's face it. What's best for the SEC is not necessarily what's best for the PAC 12, which is not necessarily it's best for the big. Yeah, but you know what, Mike, when you signed that contract to join the consortium, Mm -hmm. that I once called during the BCS era, the cartel. Okay. <laughs> you sold your soul. All right. And in doing so you opened yourself up for criticism for not having one voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't be as adamant about this if they hadn't done that. Uh, everyone now, and I hear so often, well, uh, who's working on this or that, or if they're talking about competitive advantage. If you're talking about competitive advantage or competitive disadvantage right now within your leagues, what's that doing to grow the sport? Okay, that's a negative. That's a negative view to have. Mm -hmm. You're certainly not thinking about what's in the best interest of all of college football. If you're looking at uh, okay, how do we take advantage of this to have a competitive advantage when when that occurs? Well, if we like committees so much, why don't we have instead of one czar, maybe a committee of ten people to actually look for the best interests of the entire sport? Well, so I don't know. No, I don't listen. Is that too the many? Problem we already have. No, the problem. But we need a real leader that everyone can settle on as being, uh, you know what, this guy, this guy is in, in our opinion, uh, can give us a, a viewpoint and some contingencies that maybe we haven't thought about and we need to be thinking about. And that again, comes back down to the understanding of not having ego right now. These guys all well-intentioned, intelligent. These are got friends of mine. They're commissioners, okay? They're trotting Bill Hancock out there to discuss policy about the future of college football. And with all due respect to Bill, lovely man, I've known him for years, helped with the NCAA tournament for a long, long time. I mean, I'm sorry. Going out there and just making a fool out of yourself, saying that, well, we're not really discussing any of this. When I'm talking to athletic directors and commissioners that are telling me what their contingencies are, I mean, they call him the executive director of the college football playoff. He's nothing more than a secretary that they bring out there to, to give you the quota, uh, the, just the quotes that they want to make, be made public, which are basically nothing, because the commissioners were scared to death to be the spokespersons for the BCS back in the day. Remember that, that, that the oh, yeah. rotating deal with the commissioners? being yeah. the spokesperson. They all got fried every time they were in that position. So they said, hey, Bill, 
come be this guy for us. And he was willing to do that. You know, the, the spokesperson that you need out there is someone that not only gets what you're doing, but is someone you turn to as an intellectual property to help you with your sport. And Bill Hancock fall, falls far, far short in that area. <laughs> Tim, we got time for, for, for one more, and I, kn- I know uh, we've kept you too long already, but um, uh, you can answer this as, as short as or as long as you would like to. Uh, but the, the NIL is, is a reality now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, uh, at least I'm, I'm fairly certain, just based on some of your comments, this is something you've been in favor of for a while, at least in some mm-hmm. form or another. I've always yeah. uh, thought that either you go with the agent model or something like this, that way you don't have, the onus is not on the schools to pay more, which they are paying more than they ever have. But that, that's, that's a hot button of mine, Tim, and you know this. Uh, the, the kids that couldn't afford to buy a pizza or take their girlfriend to the movies, that's not the case. Many of these right. kids are pocketing, right. pocketing yeah. after yeah. everything is paid for, every meal, room yeah. and board, everything. They're still able to pocket over 20 grand a year and cost of attendance, quote unquote, we don't want to cost a stipend, but that's essentially mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. And, and the Pell Grants and everything else. So let's, let's be honest, we're going to have the discussion. Student athletes have never had it better than they have it today. However, I am a capitalist. I'm assuming you're a capitalist. I've never had anything against them getting more. So here's my take on this, and I'll let you take it from there, and then we'll close up shop. Yeah. I think it's great that they're going to get more. I, I love it. And, and it's not going to hurt the coffers of these schools, which we're learning now in pandemic times, don't have all the money in the world. Many of these programs can be in jeopardy if we don't have a football season. All that being said, it's real easy to throw something like this out there without knowing how to implement it. And that's the skill in my eyes. How in the world do you prevent uh, complete rampant cheating across the board because to me this this potentially opens up the door for the wild wild west this is like southwest conference smu <laughs> 1984 type stuff if you're not careful about it so hey, we okay. had a lot to cover back then mike I, re- I remember it well oh i know i mean i i was down there in smu country interviewing those guys back in the day right right i mean it's a great 30 program Great 30 for 30. I mean, you mentioned not knowing about the, the, the I think it was 84, right? The big TV yeah. case. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you haven't read Unsportsmanlike Conduct by Walter Byers, I mean, there's a whole <laughs> chapter. That's another, if you're a millennial or whatever, yeah. these are things you, you should read or know yeah. if you're going to discuss college football intellectually. In the immortal words of Beano Cook, just because it happened before you were born, doesn't make it less relevant. Exactly. Exactly. And the 30 for 30 on SMU is unreal. It's one of my favorites. So, okay. Knowing all that, uh, how in the hell are we going to implement all this? Because I could give you a hundred reasons or or ways where you could kind of rook the system if you're a particular school. All right. Well, I am not okay. Um, and never have professed to be a lawyer. I'm a pretty good debater. And I was asked when I was in college, would you consider? I said, no, no. In debate, I was the guy that always uh, did the, the final rebuttal. But the guy that was my, my partner was always the guy that did the greater research. I never wanted to spend as much time in the library as I would have needed to have, to have been a lawyer. So I am not one that is going to go after the NCAA all the time. I think a lot of times because... They, they make life easy for the critics by 
unforced errors that are made. Uh, we condemn them all the time. In truth, in recent years, and especially going back to, as you mentioned, Walter Byers, going back to the, that those days, uh, the NCAA is a much kinder, gentler body than it than it once was, and uh, very rarely is ever given credit for that. Uh, I believe that if you're a prodigy and you are uh, in a position to play uh, music while a prodigy, while on scholarship for any art form in school, it, 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 they're getting paid. So if a football player or a basketball player by merely showing up is going to help raise money for a charity golf event and that charity wants to give him because they make a certain amount of money for those that would show up, if they want to give him some money for being there and giving his time, it's not so much, you know, part of it's his name and another part of it is his time. Um, time for an intercollegiate athlete, uh, particularly one that's, serious about going to school is hard to find. So why, why shouldn't they be uh, compensated for that? That's been my belief all along. I'm not going to go on a rant similar to that of Jay Billis. Jay knows more. A lot of what Jay says I agree with. Some of what he says I don't, quite frankly. But um, the way you go about it is, and I think this is understandably what the NCAA has to do, uh, and they're finally catching up on this, Mike. I mean, Emmert, as recently as, I don't know, a couple of months ago, was just saying things that made no sense. Now the pandemic hits, and uh, yeah, they're looking to file for injunctions now. Right? Their lawyers are doing that. I don't see the, the possibility of that happening. I really don't. They certainly need, though, Congress to jump in. And I think Congress will as soon as we're done with all of these relief stimulus packages out there that they're having to vote on. I do think because this happened in California first, where the bill was ratified into law and a few other states followed suit, I think it's caught the attention of a lot of other, uh, a lot of congressmen uh, that are out there and they understand it. And, um, you know, speaking of the Supreme Court, um, our most recent appointee in the Supreme Court is a big fan of college athletics. And I think he'd love to weigh in on this if the opportunity presented itself. We may even get to that point. Uh, but in truth, without congressional help, we are looking at that potential that you mentioned, you know, where, all right, how much money are you going to get if you're a great player in a major metropolitan school, say at, uh, at Pittsburgh, when you're struggling to get um, the kind of uh, public relations work that uh, some of the teams uh, that are professional teams, the Penguins or the Steelers or the Pirates, you know, it's going to be hard for you to be endorsing anything if you play for the Pitt Panthers in Miami or FIU or FAU. If you're a great player and you're trying to find your place in the market, how do you compare with the Dolphin or the Miami Heat player or the Miami, you know, the Marlin player. It's tough. But if you happen to be at a state school where there's no professional sports like Arkansas, like Nebraska, like Alabama, and you happen to be a big-time player, you show up on a Saturday for a car sale, and you could be thrown a lot of cash uh, for merely just showing up on a meet-and-greet. 
So Congress does need to get involved so that they can find a way to protect all of those involved based on the schools, where they're located, and not give such a competitive advantage to certain schools in rural parts of the country, the so-called college town, where the college player is the biggest show on earth. That's where Congress has to intercede and come up with a concept that can be met equally. Now, it's never going to be a fair or level playing field. I'm not suggesting that we can ever make it fair or level. It's not fair and level now. So it's not, you know, this isn't going to make it uh, any more fair for anyone, but it is going to allow for the player to say, you know what, because of what I've done and because of what I've achieved, I have gotten this. So that now we don't have stories permeating out there where Johnny Manziel got all this money for showing up and signing some cards. Okay. And now we've got a, uh, you know, he's suspended from games until we find out more and blah, blah. Those stories, Mike, are always going to be there sure. until we have name, image, and likeness taken care of. So in some form, it has to take place. And I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I know, I know a lot of fans aren't there out there that will hear me say congressional support. They're not real high on Congress these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, that's, a, that's like me going into uh, Bessemer, Alabama, and trying to convince them that, uh, yeah, I'm from Louisiana, but I've always been a Roll Tide guy. You know, it's not going to work. <laughs> so the bottom line is we still need their involvement so that everyone can look at it in all parts of the country and say that, yeah, this form of the NIL is something that we can adopt, and we can do so with the understanding that we just made it better for the athlete, because there is a national view out there, and I think understandably so, particularly because of the, you know, the the cultural aspect where uh, 75% of the student athletes in football and basketball come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and happen to be black. Um, With that understanding, I think that the view from the outside in is we've got to do something to help the athlete while they're there even greater than we've done with the full cost of attendance and uh, feeding them meals whenever they want them. You know, the fans generally don't see that. You and I do because we go into these offices and see Niagara Falls next to Nick Saban's uh, office and a huge slide in a barber shop and a full, you know, wiffle ball field. Smoothie it's bar. I wish I had a smoothie bar. bar the whole thing. I've been to Davos place. It's unreal. <laughs> it's like going into Chuck E. Cheese when you go to Davos. Uh, so, so I think it can be done, but it's got to be done with congressional help. And I think that we'll see that because there are far too many senators and representatives. And as I said, our most recent Supreme Court uh, entry is a big, big college uh, sports fan. So I think the interest will be there by Congress to get something done. Very well said. It's going to be very interesting to see, and hopefully uh, we are going to have a very interesting season to talk about here soon. Tim, we've uh, we've waited to have this. our 105th podcast. We haven't waited because we didn't want you on sooner. We've been waiting on technology. Yeah. But, uh, thanks to Skype and Zoom and everything else, we've, we've made this work here. So we really thank you. I, I go back to uh, my days in SEC radio as a 20-something-year-old covering events and calling games, and you always were gracious enough to take the time to do some interviews back then uh, and uh, have watched you in, in so many different roles. And I've, I've always thought you've been a great spokesperson 
not for one team or one league, but just the, the two sports uh, that we all know and love, and that's college football and basketball. So really, from JC uh, and everybody else involved on this podcast, can't thank you enough. Thank you, fellas. Uh, my, I, JC, I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, I'm so proud of you for all that you've accomplished and now out there in places where I used to be uh, calling a lot of college football and basketball and even baseball. You know, I miss college baseball. I miss the college world series. I tell people all the time that was, uh, I did seven CWSs in my nine years at ESPN at old Rosenblatt Mm. and oh man, those were great times. And um, I've missed that as much this year, I think as anything. Yeah. I have to watching and missing you guys working, you and, and Todd Walker, who's a neighbor of mine. And right. I called one of Todd's grand slams against Texas A&M in the College World Series. And he actually, um, after one of those games, Bertman was staying, LSU was staying at that same uh, embassy suites on 72nd Street in Omaha where, <laughs> where we were staying. And uh, his dad, Art, played at my high school. And I played baseball at Fair Park when we were still winning district championships and contending for state championships. And uh, he brought his son over to meet me. And I had no idea he was dating uh, the daughter of uh, the builder of my house who happened to be my high school coach, Ronnie Burns. He married Katie and he was working a summer job while in high school. Okay. Todd Walker, uh, while in high school, working a summer job for the construction company that built my house. So he was laying bricks at Chateau Brando back in like uh, 91 or so. And I, I told him, I said, could you come over and sign one of my bricks? <laughs> you know, those kinds of memories and moments from yeah. a bygone era come to mind with baseball for me. It's, it's an underrated, and I used to hear from people, and I did uh, SEC baseball on radio for 10 years in South Carolina, and people say, Mike, the most underrated event on the sports calendar is Omaha. And Absolutely. I got to go in 02, 03, and 04. And yeah. They weren't lying. It is an unbelievable event, and uh, no offense to the new stadium, but I still get more chills when I see the classic games from Rosenberg yeah. than I do yeah. from TD Ameritrade. And um, yeah. yeah, it is weird not having it. I it, this is the first time I haven't called a baseball game of any kind yeah. since college. Uh, this time, when I, when I go back to Omaha to do Creighton games, even in the winter, I'll call up Pauly Griego, who used to run that choke and puke restaurant and bar, Pauly's. Yeah. on Leavenworth Street, and we'll get together and go to a couple of the old places, and I run into a lot of fans and friends there, uh, and it was just really, really special. So thanks to you guys, and, and, and JC, you too. I really appreciate all that you've done through the years, and thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. It was great, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much. We'll do, we'll do it again soon. Uh, hopefully we'll actually have games to talk about next time. You bet. All the best. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> Thank you, fellas. All right, guys. Great, great job, Tim. Really, thank you so much for the time.